Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Two Strike Noise, your weekly baseball history podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Jeff. Mark is gone once again. He's still on vacation. He is feeling fine, just in case anybody was worrying. But we do have another guest host with us today. I am very happy to welcome to the Atlanta studios. Uh, I'm sorry, you're not from Atlanta, are you? <laughs> well, just... I represent the Atlanta area. <laughs> the... I'm, in, I'm in the Chattanooga studios representing Atlanta, though, but close enough. It's good. Our, our, our Southeast studios, I want to welcome the host of the High and Inside podcast, Joel Walker. Thank you very much for joining us today, Joel. Hey, I am so happy to be here. I love your show, so I'm a fan, and now I am a guest co-host. Couldn't be happier. Well, that's great. We're, we're happy to have you here now. So, Joel, we know that there's no actual live baseball to talk about right now. And I just just so you know how bad it's gotten today, I actually was watching videos of softball brawls today on YouTube. Uh, so I'm wow. getting a little desperate here. I think we might talk about baseball history unless you have something else you'd like to talk about, maybe. Well, I thought maybe we could talk about how to make homemade hand sanitizer or toilet paper, if there's a way we can make homemade toilet paper. But maybe that's not what people want to hear about. Maybe it is. I don't know. I'm going to keep all my alcohol for drinking rather than washing my hands. Okay, fine. I I, I totally understand. (laughs) All right. So let's get into uh, our first segment here. This is uh, our BP segment. We like to warm up. Don't want to pull anything. We're getting old and uh, haven't played for a couple of weeks. So let's let's stretch it out here. I've got a couple of stats, Joel, that I wanted to go over that I found on Twitter that piqued my interest because uh, the name Ricky Henderson was involved. And you know that always piques my interest. Yes. Ricky's involved. Ricky's the man, though. He was the man. He still is the man, by the way. Yeah, I agree. So these, uh, this was tweeted out by Ryan Spader, who you can find on Twitter at the Ace of Spader. He's got a lot of stats, a lot of good baseball stuff on his, uh, on his Twitter feed. And uh, we all know Ricky Henderson's career stolen base mark. At least I do. It's 1406. I know that one by heart. Uh, He only has one inside the park home run. I think I mentioned that on, on, on episode number 50 when we did the Ricky Anderson stuff. Uh, Prince Fielder, first of all, do you know how many career stolen bases Prince Fielder has? Oh, gosh. No, not offhand. I would guess six or seven. 18. Wow. I he, underestimated him. pretty quick. <laughs> but uh, Mr. Prince Fielder has two career inside the park home runs. So he has doubled Ricky Henderson. On that, wow. uh, on that mark, if you can believe that. I think Ricky probably usually would just stop at second so he could steal third. Yeah, that's true. He probably, you know, he wasn't the most humble guy at times. Maybe he wanted or maybe a little bit of pride in there with, with what he could do. So, yeah, that is probably true. I never really thought about that. Another one here. Now, Jackie Robinson, somebody that we've talked about quite often here. Jackie Robinson uh, finished a, finished his major league career with 197 steals, 19 of which were steals of home. That's I mean, it's almost incredible. That's, that's almost 10 percent. Although, although I'd say I think one of those he was maybe out. Yogi Yogi Berra <laughs> Yogi would Berra disagree, has something right? To say about that. Yeah, very good. Well. Of the he is, so he has nineteen steals of home. If you take Ricky Henderson, Lou Brock, Tim Raines, Vince Coleman, Joe Morgan, Willie Wilson, 
Burt Campanaris, Kenny Lofton, Ichiro Suzuki, Luis Aparicio, and Jimmy Rollins. If you combine all of their stolen bases, that's that is a heck of a list right there. Yeah. They have 8,017 career stolen bases, but only 18 steals of home. So all of those incredible you know, base stealers, one shy of Jackie Robinson's career steals of home total. Pretty impressive. That's very impressive. Uh, another stat that I found, kind of a line that I found earlier, it was actually today. Uh, I'm sure you're familiar with the uh, 1915 Philadelphia Athletics pitcher, pitcher Bruno Haas. Oh, yeah. I, I got his poster up in my bedroom, actually. <laughs> Wife, not a big fan of it, though. <laughs> well, it, it would be quite a thing if he if he did have a, a poster. He threw a complete game, a complete game, mind you, but he gave up 15 runs, only eight of which were earned, but he gave up 13 hits, had three wild pitches, and walked 16 batters. This was his only game in the major leagues, believe it or not. <laughs> wow. Well, he racked up all the stats there. Yeah, I just love how... how I, Let's see, when that, that's prime Connie Mack era, how he's just like, yeah, I don't want to use a reliever. He went the entire nine innings. Wow. ERA ended up, because only eight of them were earned, he only ended up with an eight ERA. But uh, looking at some of these names, uh, these are great names that were, this was against the New York Yankees. This was before, you know, the Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig era. We've got Hugh Hick, Roger Peckinpah, Fritz Mazel. <laughs> Bertie Cree, Patty Bowman. These are some good names. This is why I miss. I, I think I should have been born in like the 1915 through 1920 era so I could have had a name like this. Um, we've got Amos Strunk. One of my favorite athletics, Steffi McGinnis, is yeah. uh, always one of my favorites. He won four World Series. Wow. Steffi. His nickname was Jack, by the way. That was the nickname. Man, you would think it'd be a little reverse there with the nickname his, his, and actual his name. His actual name is John, but his nickname was Jack and or Stuffy. So interesting. I don't know how that. I wonder what the it. story is on that one. I don't. There's another episode. Maybe he right was. Uh, maybe he had bad allergies and uh, was always stuffed up. <laughs> or yep. maybe he was just very conceited. Yeah. Oh yeah, that could be it too. Interesting so, though. So Joel, you're. Uh, your podcast is mainly about the Braves, Atlanta Braves, a team I used to be very, very familiar with. Yes. Uh, I am. Uh, I'm also very familiar with Turner Field, with the, the old home of the Atlanta Braves. Now, how long have you been a Braves fan? I've been a Braves fan since the 80s. So I'm 39 years old. I'm going on the uh, wonderful 40 this year. And um, my grandfather lived in the Atlanta area before I moved there because I did live there for about 20 years. So my grandfather was actually, uh, uh, I wouldn't say he was technically friends, but he was, he, he knew the trainer for the Braves. And uh, my grandfather worked for a tobacco company, you know, so back in those days, you know how it was. A lot of the ball players, managers, coaches would dip or chew tobacco. So my grandfather would actually trade tobacco and dip with the Braves trainer and would get things like Del Murphy autographs, tickets to games, tons of stuff like that. Uh, so that's how I actually got into the Braves, even though my father grew up in St. Louis as a Cardinals fan. Most of my family's from St. Louis. I kind of went to that 
uh, as a Cardinals fan first, but you know, I'm a kid. I can be easily influenced, obviously. <laughs> and uh, I was influenced over to the Atlanta Braves. And then we, when my father was, he was in the Air Force, he retired in 1990. We moved just like 20 minutes south of Atlanta. And obviously being that close, I became a huge Braves fan. Uh, TBS, of course, for a lot of people was a way to watch games with the Braves and and everyone across America kind of grew to love the Atlanta Braves. And I loved them before they were good. You know, before 1991, I was a Del Murphy fan. But hopefully that answers your question, kind (laughs) of. Well, so I, I is it fair to assume that you have attended a ball game in the three last stadiums that the Braves have played in? Atlanta, Atlanta, Fulton County, Fulton County, yes, Turner Field, and what is now what is it? Truist, it's Truist now, yeah, formerly SunTrust Park, now Truist Park. Uh, yes, I have been to all three stadiums. Give me, give me your favorite thing from all three of those stadiums. So your favorite thing about Fulton County, your favorite thing about Turner, and then your favorite thing about SunTrust Truist. Yes. Uh, Fulton County, I'd have to just say the experience is just becoming a fan of baseball. I, I met, One of the memories that stands out for me was I remember seeing uh, Gary Carter hustling down on a, on a ground ball to first base and watching him slide head first though into first base trying to beat it out and for some reason that memory just stuck with me of something i've never seen before is this is this expo or is this Matt? you know i can't remember what year it was uh it had to be like late 80s so wherever he was at that time yeah and uh i just remember seeing that and and for some reason sticking out as as something that's just stuck with me since then but thinking wow man that guy really is hustling and uh just getting to go to these games with my grandfather who was one of my best friends he's no longer with with us but uh just getting to uh really become a baseball fan and then with sun trust well no i'm sorry i'm see i'm getting the names mixed up with turner uh man i went to a lot of games there you know the problem with the location with where both those stadiums were it was it was just not a great location it was hard to get to and get out of uh when the games were letting out but you know i went to a lot of games there i don't really have a memory that sticks out but just having the knowledge that i got to see a lot of hall of famers play in those stadiums i saw greg maddox start you know watching chipper jones and getting to experience those teams that dominated in the 90s even though they only won one world series was was probably what sticks out now going to truest now the stadium is awesome this is probably one of the best stadiums out there not that i've been to all of them but i you know i watch enough youtube videos to probably see what these stadiums look like the experience is awesome but what sticks out in my mind is that i have two young boys and i've gotten to take both of them to the ball games there and uh, more with my oldest son and just bonding with my kids and my son going to these games especially now that the braves are exciting again they've won their division the last two seasons 
and they're not as bad. You know, I, I, I think the first game I took my son to there, we got to watch Matt Kemp in left field, and which is not that exciting. Uh, but, yeah, just watching these guys and, and getting to bond with family, I think that's the most impart, important part with every stadium that I've gone to. Well, that's that's awesome. I have not been to Truist. That's going to take a while for me to get that through my head. But I, it also just takes a while as an A's fan to get through my head that there's the third stadium that the Braves have had. And, and you guys, yeah, you guys are still stuck on the one. Unbelievably. <laughs> yeah, but I've got a lot of great memories from Turner Field. Um, that was that was the first. I've gone into that before. We don't need to go into it here, but I, I'm I'll, excited. Steve, what to, I'll to, have to do is have you on my show, and we can discuss that. So I've maybe got some great, can listen great memories. Yeah, when you when you spoke to Paul Bird a couple of weeks ago, he talked about one of the games from my first season there that was just indelibly marked on my brain. So there's there's some good stuff there, but that's that's awesome. I love to hear about people and and their their favorite team stadiums. Yeah. Um, so this show is debuting on March 31st, and Joel, you get the honor of being the first uh, first person on our show this new year of 2020 that we get to talk about debuts. Awesome. I'm ready. Even though there are no games you know, being played right now, there have been in the past on this day. And so we've got some debuts, so we get to start this segment up again. And I got a couple of names here that I'm sure you're you're pretty familiar with. First of all, Actually, both of these guys debuted on this day in the year 2003. The first one is Rocco Baldelli. Oh, yeah. So Rocco went one for four against the Red Sox. He had a double off of now Hall of Famer Pedro Martinez. If you remember Rocco's career, it was uh, really derailed by a something that we'll talk about a little bit later in this show here. But he has a rare uh, muscular disorder that causes frequent soft tissue injuries, gives him a lot of fatigue and a lot of other ailments. And because of this, he spent long periods of time on the disabled list. He was, as he came up through the minor leagues before he was diagnosed with this, he was thought of as a five-tool player. He was really highly regarded. You know, his career was was really, as I said, derailed by this. After he retired, he was named manager of the Minnesota Twins in 2018, and last year was the American League Manager of the Year, leading the Twins to the Central League title and obviously the playoffs. Now, Rocco Baldelli is from Woonsock, Rhode Island. Do you have any idea what Rocco Baldelli's nickname is? I do not. I have to say I don't. I'm, I, and I might have said that wrong. It's the, <laughs> it's Woonsocket, Rhode Island. I'm sorry yeah. for all our Rhode Island. Yeah, all the there. five people that are in that city. <laughs> well, Sounds his small. nickname his nickname is the Woonsocket Rocket. Wow, I had never heard that one before, but once I saw it, I knew I had to mention. It. <laughs> The, uh, the next player that made his debut on the same day in 2003, another name that I'm sure you're very familiar with, Hideki Matsui. Yep. So Matsui uh, played, uh, came up, signed with the, I don't shouldn't say came up, he signed with the New York Yankees. And in his debut in 2003, the Yankees took on the Toronto Blue Jays. Matsui went one for four. He had an RBI, which scored Derek Jeter in the bottom of the first inning off of Roy Holiday. During his 20-year playing career, both in Japan and in the U.S., Matsui hit 507 home runs. 332 of them were in Japan, and 175 were here. 
I found some really interesting stuff on Matsui. Uh, originally, he was right-handed as a child, but when he started playing with his older brother and older friends, so he's younger, but he's playing with his his brother and friends because he was such a good athlete, uh, he kept embarrassing everybody by just hitting bomb after bomb. So they made him switch and hit left-handed, or they weren't going to play with him. Well, as you can guess, he then became a very powerful left-handed hitter. Uh, During his high school years, Matsui participated in the National High School Baseball Tournament at Koshien Stadium. We've talked about this many times. He actually played there four times, once in the spring tournament and three times in the summer tournament. Well, he was such an outstanding hitter that in 1992, he drew five consecutive intentional walks. And this became a nationwide topic of conversation because it was considered excessive and unsportsmanlike. But the the real conversation was Matsui's reaction to these intentional walks as, this is a quote, Matsui's stoic, emotionless conduct during those at-bats drew great praise from turnout officials and reporters alike. So <laughs> I can just imagine him just standing there, just staring at the pitcher as they throw him four wide ones. Yeah, and, and I do know his nickname. So if you ask me that one, I do know that one. Okay, what what is his nickname? Okay, maybe I don't. Godzilla, right? There you go. Okay. Very good. I was just going to say, his nickname is Godzilla. The origin, though, is not very not very nice. It was in reference to Matsui's skin problems earlier in his career, but later came to represent his powerful hitting. And in 2002, he made a cameo in the film Godzilla against Mechagodzilla. Huh? Interesting. What, what was the cameo, though? That's... I don't I, yeah. maybe maybe he's one of the guys that like is running through the streets and points up and goes, ah, Godzilla. <laughs> or maybe it points to himself in a mirror. Yeah. <laughs> uh. I don't know. We if somebody has seen Godzilla versus you know, it's Godzilla against Mecha Godzilla, let us know. Classic movie. Classic. I think it's on <laughs> TMT quite a bit. <laughs> so Matsui near uh, Matsui narrowly lost the Rookie of the Year award in 2003. Do you remember who the American League Rookie of the Year was in 2003? 2003. Because I didn't. I'm I, you that. Golly, <laughs> yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying to think back. Was it Rocco? No. Oh I, no. You will. I get. You're never going to get. Okay, it was, I, I give up. It was Angel Baroa. And I don't even remember that name. That's how good he was. I remember the name. I couldn't tell you. Unless he was on the Angels, I couldn't tell you anything about him. But two writers refused to include him on their balance due to his age. Uh, To which then Yankee owner George Steinbrenner responded by pointing out that that hadn't prevented people from voting for Ichiro Suzuki or Kazuhiro Sasaki, who were older than Matsui when they debuted, and they both won the Rookie of the Year. So... That was pretty lame. Agreed. He uh, became the first Japanese player to hit a home run in the World Series in Game 2 of the 2003 World Series against the Florida Marlins, and he later went on to win the World Series in 2009 with the Yankees and was named the World Series MVP that year. So I, I skipped cool. a lot of stuff. Matsui obviously had an incredible career uh, for the Yamayuri Giants while he was in Japan and did a lot of stuff. I remember the year he was on the A's. He played for Tampa for one year and I think somebody else. But Matsui was was just awesome. I just remember I remember his power. He was just fun to watch. Maybe underrated. I don't think people think about him. And, and going back to Rocco real quick, I remember – 
how exciting he was when he first came up and you and you just thought man this guy is going to be really good and unfortunately like you said with the injuries and and what you know he has how it unfortunately derailed his career but hopefully the way it started so far as the manager that that's pretty exciting too but i remember playing video games the mlb games at that time and i'm like i want to be tampa bay because they got rocco he's really good I just loved, I loved him because his name was Rocco. That's such a great name. <laughs> yeah, don't ever hear that one. No, you don't hear that one too much in baseball. All right, so Joel, I had a trivia question last week that I asked. I'm going to ask you again before I give the answer here. Okay. Uh, the question I asked last week was, who played the most Major League Baseball seasons? Not games, but how many seasons without making it to a World Series? Oh, goodness. You have any idea of somebody that that played a lot but never made it to the World Series? Oh, that's a good question. For some reason, the first guy that pops my head now he's too injured. I was going. I, I'm thinking Don Mattingly, but that I don't think he played enough. Yeah, he didn't play long enough. Definitely never made it to the World Series. But, yeah, uh, there is. Uh, there's. I'm, I'm going to give you a hint here. We talk about him quite often in our show because of his oh, longevity. Nolan Ryan. Nope. Oh gosh! Okay, Nolan I, Ryan. Nolan Ryan won a World Series. Oh, that's right with the Mets. I always forget about that one. Um, we we joke that I, this this player might still be playing somewhere in South America. Uh, he played okay. for your Atlanta Braves yeah. for a good little bit. Julio Franco. There you go. Ah, Julio did, Franco did played for twenty one seasons in the majors without making it to the World Series. Now. I, I, I specified their seasons. Most games played without making it to the World Series is actually Rafael Palmero. He played mm. in 2,831 games, but never made it to the World Series. That's a good question. That's Yeah, that's a good one. I did, I did not know that one. Julio Franco. All right, so I'm going to ask another uh, question here. We'll give you the answer next week. And you're Joel, you're welcome to guess here. How okay. many different continents has a regular season Major League Baseball game been played on? I think this one is eminently answer- answerable. Yeah. Well, there's North America, uh, let's see, Asia. Oh, and Europe. Um, I, gosh, I'm thinking three is uh, South America in there. I don't No, I don't think so. I'm going to go... Goodness, three. Three's my answer. All right. You'll have to tune in next week to see if you're right. If I said nine, would that be awkward? <laughs> like, man, this guy is stupid. I trust me, I have nine answered confidence. I have answered more awkwardly than that. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll go with three though. That's that's what I'm thinking. All right. So make sure to join us next week. We'll find out just how many actual continents a major league baseball regular season game has been played on. Uh, with that, we're gonna wrap up. BP, we're going to go in, uh, get out of our BP jerseys and put in, uh, let's wear our alternate jerseys today that also look like BP jerseys. Some of my favorite things, but Sounds we'll, good. we'll do that. We'll let the grounds crew. We'll let the grounds crew Am I allowed to reapply deodorant? Cause that I might have to do that too. Yeah, probably should do that. I worked up a little bit of sweat there. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about, we've got a subject here today that we're both going to, we're both going to talk about. Uh, it was interesting because uh, Joel, you on your podcast uh, did a story about a player just about the same time that I had tweeted something out 
uh, with the, the spring training baseball card challenge that we were doing during spring training about a player that I had never heard of at that time as well. And we both we both kind of uh, did the same thing. So what we're going to talk about today is we're going to talk about players with and I'm only going to say I'm only going to say a couple of words once during this segment. I'm going to okay. say players with disabilities and I'm only going to use that word disabilities right here. Uh, while doing this research, I found out about a lot of players that had things like diabetes or Tourette's, um, some that were even just in need of really thick glasses because they were legally blind. And I don't want to by any mean, I, I don't want to demean those accomplishments in any way. My, my focus here was on some players that were faced with uh, physical obstacles that they overcame to play professional baseball. Yeah. So, Joel, when I when I ask you, who's the first player that comes to mind that had to overcome a physical obstacle in order to play? What who who comes to mind for you? Oh, Jim Abbott, definitely Jim Abbott, Absolutely. probably the most popular and accomplished person you know that I could think of. And he is right here, number one on my list. What do you know? There you go. <laughs> so, Abbott was born without a right hand. He was the eighth overall pick by the California Angels in 1988. Abbott played his college ball at the University of Michigan. Abbott had a few uh, really good seasons earlier in his career, including a 18-game winning season in 1991, where he had a 2.89 ERA and finished third in the Cy Young Award balloting. His crowning achievement was a no-hitter in 1993 while pitching for the New York Yankees. Abbott, at one point in 1991 during spring training, tripled off of Rick Rushel. Oh, yeah. Which, great name. Was it, now, do you remember? I think I wrote down here Big Daddy. I think Rick Rushel was nicknamed <laughs> Big Daddy. I'll just go with that. Sure. Sounds I don't, good. That sounds right to me. I, I believe that was him. Uh, Abbott played most of his career in the American League, so hitting wasn't really a thing that he had to worry about. Uh, he did join the Milwaukee Brewers in 1999 and had 21 at-bats and two hits, both of which came off John Lieber. Wow. That's incredible. Kind of I didn't know that. Uh, Yankees teammate Mariano Rivera claimed to have witnessed Abbott hitting home runs during batting practice, but we have no video, no confirmation of that. I'd love to see it. Um, and as we tend to like to do here on Two Strike Noise, the crowning achievement for us, we believe, in 1994, Abbott appeared as himself on the TV series Boy Meets World in the episode Class Preunion. Oh, <laughs> I cannot recall the episode right off the top of my head, but I'm going to have to go look at it. Is it bad if I admit that I've never watched any of that show? Well, I'm going to have to kick you off this show then. Oh, well, good. well thanks for the time. <laughs> no, I love that show. But I, I really don't remember that episode, but I'll, I'll definitely have to go back. We love to highlight when anybody's been on a sitcom or a movie or anything like that. So, Now, uh, have you ever heard of Chad Bentz? I have not. B-E-N-T-Z. He was also born with a deformed right hand and was drafted by the Montreal Expos 7th in the 2001 draft. He debuted in 2004 with the Montreal Expos and appeared in 36 games and ended up with a 5.86 ERA. He only got into four more games the next year with the Marlins where his ERA was north of 30 and then was out of professional baseball. But I, I do not remember anything about him. 
I don't remember that name either or or the player. I just don't remember anything about the stats or yeah, yeah. I'm with you. All right, so that has to do with some some pitchers that didn't have hands, which is something you generally need as a pitcher. Uh, Joel, you and I both have some things here about some players that couldn't hear. And I, so I've got a couple, and then I'm going to, then I know you've got one. Yeah. First, I've got Ed Dundone. Dundone. I don't know if I'm saying that name right. He played very briefly in the 19th century, so the 1800s. He is noted as being the first deaf player in baseball history. After attending the Ohio State School for the Deaf, Dundon went on to play several years of professional baseball, and then he retired to become an umpire, where he used hand signals to make his calls, which I don't know if you (laughs) can guess where that's leading, but some of these signals are still used today. Yep. I think a deaf umpire, well, I mean, you'd be... It'd be good in some aspects because you couldn't hear people yelling at you, but then you couldn't hear like foul tips or when the ball hits the mitt and that kind of stuff. So I think yeah, there would be I, I some there'd be some downside to that, I would think. Yeah, that's I mean, you're, exactly what you're saying is I, 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 that'd be a tough, tough job to have. And I wonder how players took it. How do you argue with a deaf umpire? That That is I'm sure it didn't stop them. No, no, it didn't, I'm sure. <laughs> All right, so we've both got a player here. I'm going to go with mine first, and, and I'm only going to use this nickname once because it's it's an awful nickname. Uh, Dummy Hoy. Real name was William Hoy. He became deaf after suffering from meningitis when he was three years old. He went on to play for several teams from 1888 to 1902. He was a speedy outfielder that was a good defender. Get this game. June 19th, 1898, Hoy threw out three runners at home from the outfield. It's a record that still stands today. It's been done again, but it still stands today. Guess who the catcher was? Well, I am I say guess, but I'm going to tell you who it was. <laughs> that, that tagged all three of the runners out. None other than Cornelius McGillicuddy, a.k.a. Connie Mack. Oh, wow. Connie Mack. Right. The, it, I, I always... I've only found one picture of Connie Mack in uniform because every picture of Connie Mack's in his straw hat and a yeah, bow tie and stuff. <laughs> it is interesting how managers back in those days could do that and now they all wear uniforms. It is No, he was yeah, crazy. he was the only one though. He was yeah. the only one that ever dressed like that. And I I guess when you, see. when you own a team for fifty years, you pretty much do whatever you want, I guess. Um like uh, like Dundon, uh, Hoy also helped establish some other signals that umpires, you know, use to call a runner safer out. Well, it's uh, let me put it this way: it was said that he helped establish it. There are actually no articles printed during his lifetime about this, nor did he ever say that he had anything to do with coming up with signals to tell if an ump, uh, you know, if a runner was out or not. But I think it's one of those things that just kind of gets passed along because he was a deaf player and i think some of that might also be true with the guy that you're going to tell us about now yep and and i believe these guys actually faced each other and you talk about the the nickname they both had it was more of a term that was common back then for anybody that was a mute or you know couldn't talk but the num the name dummy uh and my guy is uh, let me kind of preface with this. In 1904 and 1905, the New York Giants won the National League Championship. And in 1905, they would win the World Series, and they were led by John McGraw. 
the Giants were also led by one of the greatest pitchers in baseball history at the time, which was Christy Mathewson. Now, Christy Mathewson gets all the fame and glory, but one of the guys that doesn't really get talked about was uh, Luther Taylor. And Luther had the same nickname as the guy you were talking about, Dummy. He was referred to as Dummy Taylor. And he earned that nickname, the critical nickname, obviously, because he was actually deaf, uh, but he wasn't a mute. And he would go on to pitch from 1900 to 1908, primarily with the Giants. And it was said that he was an above average pitcher and his ERAs, you could usually see that, go back on baseball reference, see his his, uh, season and the the ERAs that he had. And uh, just he's kind of same same thing you're kind of saying with you know i don't know if it's true or not but it's kind of said that he's credited with uh, sign language being used and signs being used in baseball and uh, for pitchers and catchers so it kind of goes back to him and the the cool thing about him in the 1900s when he was playing taylor was actually reported to be the highest paid deaf person in the u.s wow so he had a sense of humor and uh, one of the things he did, obviously, back in those days, there was no lights. Day, day games were played, so there was no lights in the stadium. And sometimes the games would go a little bit late, and the umpires wanted them finished. But one time the game was going late, it was getting a bit dark. And apparently Taylor comes out, and he has a lit lantern. You know, everyone's <laughs> carrying those around now to kind of give the nudge, the hint to the umpire of, hey, we need to call this game. It's dark. Another time, <laughs> umpires wouldn't call a game because it was raining so much. So apparently what I understand is at that time, players would also be like first base coach, third base coach, and, and do that. And um, he went out there in rubber boots to give the hint while he was coaching third, <laughs> to give the hint to the umpire, hey, hey, it's raining quite a bit. Maybe we need to call the game here. Uh <laughs> But one of the other crazy things about him was that he actually was ejected from a game for cursing out the umpire in sign language, which has got to be a little interesting how the umpire or anybody knew what he was, was saying there. But he, he would finish his career and he went 116 and 106 with a 2.75 ERA. So really low ERA. Of course, you know, that's everything's totally different back then. Baseball's everything. And, uh, and the funny thing that you also mentioned from a former player being deaf was that he went on to umpire games. And uh, kind of interesting that more than one deaf person after their MLB career would go on to umpire games. So that is the uh, brief story of Luther Taylor. Yeah, I've got another, I've got another stat or two here for Luther Taylor. In 1904, he won 21 games for the Giants. And in 1906, his 2.2 earned run average was the lowest on the pitching staff, which also included Hall of Famers Christy Matheson and Joe McGinnity. So that's <laughs> when you can say you have a better ERA than those two guys. That's pretty impressive. Yep. So I've got one more deaf guy, a contemporary player. Do you remember Curtis Pride? I do. Yeah, I remember Curtis, uh, especially with the Expos, but I think he played for the Tigers. Well, I know he played for the Tigers as well. He fa- he played 11 years in the big leagues, ended up with uh, a 731 OPS, which is a little bit below average, an OPS plus of 88, but he had 20 career home runs. He was a good outfielder, 
And uh, I remember any game I watched with him, you know, being played at that time, they'd always highlight him and show the communication between the infielders and other outfielders with him. But that is that is the that's a big jump. There had to have been more deaf players between the early 1900s and, you know, 1993 when Curtis Pride was uh, was a rookie. But I couldn't find any. <laughs> so <laughs> and, you know, my exhaustive research. Yes. Got a couple got a couple of more guys here with some some different stories. Do you remember Bob Wickman? I do. Relief pitcher? Yeah. I think he pitched for the Braves for a season, I want to say, but I could be he, wrong on that. He he absolutely did. Very nice. Wickman yeah. played in the major leagues for for 15 years. And he had lost part of his right index finger from a childhood farming accident, which that seems to be how all these things happen are farming accidents. Yep. Uh, his outpitch was a sinker, which was helped by his, you know, having not a whole index finger on his pitching hand. He was a closer or a setup man later in his career. He compiled 267 career saves and led the league in 2005 with 45 saves as the Cleveland Indians closer. And speaking of the Braves, August 24, 2007, he gave up a walk-off two-run home run to the Reds' Adam Dunn in extra innings. And Wickman went in and complained to manager Bobby Cox about pitching in non-save situations. One week later, uh, Bob Wickman was released by the Atlanta Braves. <laughs> yes, my memory of Wickman being with the Braves was not a fond memory. I, I, I do remember that at least. Yeah, Bobby Cox, not a big fan either. Uh, we talked about Pete Gray probably about 10 episodes ago at the age of six in a, guess what, a farming accident. Go figure. Uh, Gray lost his right arm and it had to be amputated above the elbow. In 1944, he was playing for the Memphis Chicks where he hit 333 with five home runs and swiped a league record 63 stolen bases. He played only one season in the big leagues, which was 1945. And if that date sounds a little familiar when we've, we've talked about players serving in the military, that was when a big portion of major league players were serving in the military during World War II. He hit only 218 for the St. Louis Browns. Not surprisingly, he had a hard time hitting curveballs, but he was a great bunder. That's how he got on base most of the time and a great outfielder. Similarly, Burt Shepard. Now, I've never heard of Burt, but he served in the Air Force and was shot down over Germany and had his right leg amputated. He had an artificial leg attached to him and pitched in the major leagues when he returned. Not a lot, but he, he appeared once for the Senators in 1945. He threw five and a third innings and only gave up one run. But he went on to a long career of, you know, kind of just touring around the country and inspiring people, especially veterans that have returned and were injured. But Burt Shepard, I had not heard of him. Me neither. I got two more pitchers to go here. Um, now this one I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you the guy's nickname and tell me if you know who it is the octopus. Oh man, I, I do think not. he played. For, pretty sure he played for the Braves at one point. Let me see here. What time frame are we talking? 2004. He appeared for the Braves in 79 oh, games. Yeah, he had an extra finger, and I can't think of his name now. Did, did he play for the Pirates too? 
Uh, he also paid for. Uh, came up with Florida. He played for the Cubs, the Braves, the Marlins, the Rangers, and Philly in Philly. his last season. I I can't remember his name, but I I remember reading up on him recently because he had like a little extra nub on his. No, nope, no, his. he had oh. full. He had six fingers on each hand and okay. six toes, and they were full on. It was not a nub. It was, yeah. So Antonio Alfonseca, the octopus. Yeah, interesting. So, yeah, he debuted with the Marlins in 1997. He led the league in saves in 2000 with 45. So wow. he had too many digits. The probably, and I'm going to say, probably if you look back in the entirety of baseball history, probably the most famous player that had a physical block that they had to overcome in order to achieve success is Mordecai Three Finger Brown. Yep. So he's the only Hall of Famer on this list. And as his nickname would, you know, probably tell you, he had only three fingers on his pitching hand due Farming to accident. Farming accident. <laughs> there you go. I knew it. Yep. The first and most traumatic injury came when he was feeding material into the feed chopper. I don't know what that is, but I'm assuming it chops feed. He slipped and his hand was mangled by the knives that are apparently in this feed chopper, severing much of his index finger and damaging the rest on his pitching hand. A doctor repaired most of his hand the best they could. Uh, while it was still healing, he took a fall, though, and broke several fingers on that same hand. They were not reset properly, especially the middle finger. And if you ever see a picture of his hand, it kind of looks like... Uh, do, you, do you remember Ray Fossey? He was a the, the catcher for the A's that Pete Rose steamrolled in the in the yeah, all-star game and, and i'm actually looking at a picture of of his hand right now mordecai brown's hand i'm, I'm actually looking at it right now so yeah, yeah i it, know what you're talking about so so ray fossey's been the color guy for the a's on tv for forever but ray fossey's hands just like every uh every finger on his hand looks like a you know like a like a river on a map that changes direction every couple of feet. <laughs> That's a good way I, to put it. And that is what Mordecai Mordecai's uh, hand looks like. Uh, Brown was a contemporary of Christy Matheson, who we mentioned earlier. They were the two star pitchers of their day. Uh, Brown had a career 13 to 11 edge on Big Six, and I call Christy Matheson that because that's one of the best. That and Big Poison are two of my favorite nicknames of all time. That is good. Uh, Brown and Matheson wrapped up their respective careers by squaring off against each other on September 4th, 1916. It was the second game of a Labor Day doubleheader. It was billed as the final meeting between these two baseball greats, and it actually turned out to be the final game of both of their careers. The game was not really one to remember. It was high scoring. Uh, The two teams combined for 33 hits. Both teams were out of the pennant race, so they just both pitchers went the entire game. The Reds beat Browns, Cubs eight to ten, or I'm sorry, ten to eight. Either way, they I don't lost. think any fact checks. <laughs> Anybody <laughs> around back then that remembers that? If and if you do remember that, give me a call. I'd love to have you on the show. Uh, Brown won 239 games in his career and posted a career ERA of 2.06 
When the Cubs won the World Series in 1908, Brown won two of the games, including a shutout in his start. His best pitches were as a curve and a knuckle curve. And Brown was elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame in 1949. Now, following his retirement, he did not become an umpire, surprisingly enough. Well, he could hear, so <laughs> apparently that uh, was not did- the trend. No, he had he had other things to do. Yeah. In an exhibition game against the House of David, who we've talked about many times, in 1928, he was 51 years old at this time. He pitched three innings as a favor to the local team and struck out all nine batters he faced. Going into a little pop culture reference, he was mentioned in the Simpsons episode, Homer at the Bat. Do you remember this episode, most famous Oh, I'm going to disappoint you again. Once again, I have oh, never no. watched The Simpsons. Oh, no. I'm off the I show would, now. I would suggest to go <laughs> ahead and watch the baseball episodes because they, this I, one. I have to. And the one where the, where the isotopes uh, are involved, where, yeah. where Homer is the, is the mascot and he gets called up to the big leagues, they're great. Uh, in this one, what happens is Mr. Burns, who owns the nuclear power plant, has a softball team. And during the players strike, <laughs> he employs all of these major leaguers as ringers so that they can win the softball league. Uh, Mr. Burns lists three ringers that he wants on his company's softball team for sure. He wants Honus Wagner, Cap Anson, and Mordecai Three Finger Brown <laughs> until his assistant Smithers has to point out they were not only retired but long dead. Yeah. <laughs> so they go with the people like Daryl Strawberry and Don Mattingly. But somehow Homer makes the lineup as well. Oh, but wow. It's it's a great episode. <laughs> And can I tie something in real quick? Absolutely. Uh, going back to to my guy, Luther Taylor, you're talking about the House of David. He actually umpired for the House of David when he was doing his umpire gig. Maybe that's what, you know, because the House of David was kind of a, they were, while well, some good players on there, they were also kind of a gimmicky Mm-hmm. Touring, touring. Uh, it, it's I've I just met somebody at a at a saber event whose father played for the House of David, and uh, I was talking to them during the event. That's I was so excited to meet them. You're like finally someone else knows what I'm talking about here. Yeah, House of David, great uniforms and great looks. Because as we discussed, you have to have a beard if you wanted to be on the House of David team. Was that now? I don't know much about House of David. I just kind of know what i learned there briefly but was that is that like a a jewish no they were not jewish okay they were religious and they ask that their players abstain uh from many things i think you can guess what the main thing was while they were involved with this but they would they would barnstorm uh they all had to grow beards and beyond baseball they well they had a women's team that would tour as well they had several men's teams they had like you know they would spread out throughout the country, but mm-hmm. they had a basketball team. They had a bowling team. They they uh, still are actually in existence, and there is a Hall of Fame somewhere around Chicago, I believe. But a lot of famous players would come and play on this team. There's a very famous picture of Babe Ruth that played for them for one game, and he's got a fake beard on, and he's kind of chuckling in the dugout where he's got this fake beard on. But yeah, the House of David... If you know, if you've got time, if you're quarantined and have some time still, go back and check out that episode because we did that. Boy, it was a good while ago, but uh, that must have been before I was I was got I got into your show because I have to go back and listen to that. That's interesting. I'd love to know the history of that, so I'll check it out. Yeah, House of David's good stuff. 
Um, so, uh, Joel, anybody else that you would like to mention? Yeah, I want to mention one guy. He didn't really have a maybe I, I hate to use the word deformity or dis just you know had anything that was disabling him physically, but his was more mental. And that was Jim Eisenreich, and uh, he actually wound up having Tourette syndrome. And I think we all think of Tourette syndrome. Maybe we think about what about Bob, you know, how he would fake Tourette syndrome so he wouldn't really have Tourette syndrome. But for, you know, people that really don't know what it is, it's not just, hey, the guy's going to throw out some cuss words, but it would involve uncontrollable repetitive movements or unwanted sounds like ticks and uh, things such as uh, repeatedly blinking. The eyes, and, and someone I kind of think may have this is Jose Canseco. If you ever watch him, I kind of wonder if he has, he, you ever watch him, he has that tick where he blinks a lot. Uh, but going off on, on Jim here, uh, he actually started off with the twins. And on one occasion, his before he was diagnosed and knew what he had, he actually ran from the outfield into the dugout, tearing his clothes off while saying that he couldn't breathe. And he wound up being taken to the emergency room that night where teammate Mickey Hatcher looked on as doctors actually tried to calm him down, which unsuccessfully, but they, they, they calmed him down or tried to with tranquilizers. That's how bad it was. Uh, this condition with TS eventually caused him to go into the voluntary retirement list between 1984 and 1987 and he would be treated during that time and i think he played some amateur ball and he was finally diagnosed with having tourette's and the funny thing about it not really funny but interesting fact about him being replaced he was replaced in minnesota by do you know who by any chance i'll just see if you in the kirby outfield Puckett? yeah kirby kirby Puckett. Uh, so he was replaced by Kirby Puckett. So I think maybe Twins fans were like, you know, we get we got a good player there to replace him. And he would make his comeback in 1987 with the Royals. And what was cool about his story and that he was able to play through this, he eventually played in the World Series for the losing Phillies in 1993. He went six for 26 in that series with seven RBI. Now, however, in 1997, he was a member of the Marlins winning the World Series, and he went 4 for 11 with three RBI in that series. In 15 years, he had a 290 career batting average. So from what he was able to at least overcome from where he began and where he ended, pretty incredible story. Yeah, I, I don't remember him with Minnesota at all. I remember him with Kansas City is where I mainly remember him from. And then some years in Philadelphia. Looking at this, he was involved in one of the most famous trades, famous blockbuster trades in in my memory. In 1998, he was traded from the Marlins along with Bobby Bonilla, Gary Sheffield, and Charles Johnson. You remember Charles Johnson? I remember he was a catcher. Catcher, yeah. He used, catcher. Yeah, he used to yeah. sit on his butt and kind of like, like Tony Pena. He would sit down really low to the ground. They were all traded to the Los Angeles Dodgers for Mike Piazza and Todd Zeal. Oh, I see. I and didn't I, realize he was part of that trade. I did. That's that's interesting. Yeah, Piazza was on the Marlins for like twelve games, and then I think he was shipped to New York. Yeah, and and if you haven't read Mike Piazza's book, it's really good, and he does discuss that kind of weird trade and and what was going through his mind. So anybody that has, wants to check that book out, it, it is pretty interesting. Mike Piazza, now a owner of a like fourth tier soccer team in Italy that is in bankruptcy. 
Ah, that's dang. that's just that's another story. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so uh, there you go. Thank you very much for that. Um, I see. I also see Jim Eisenreich's nickname was Izzy. Now that they he needs something better than that. Yeah. Uh, not not as good as Rocco's, uh, which I unfortunately don't remember because it's a little socket, bit compl- rocket. Yeah, <laughs> try saying that a few times. Good yeah, Lord. ask me tomorrow, and I probably won't remember that. Yeah, all I right. Think you, so- I think you need to say uh, "God bless you" after someone says that they're sneezing. <laughs> all right, so that's going to wrap up the main portion of our show here. Uh, as soon as we talk about Jim Eisenreich, that always tells me that it is time to jump into our most popular segment. It is time for Wax Packs Heroes. Gotta pull the Wax Pack Heroes! Now, Joel, I know you are excited about this because uh, we love to talk about old baseball players and old cards. Yes. Uh, this week, I gave you a, a choice of a couple of packs and you have chosen a 1992 score Series 1 pack. There is a uh, nondescript Dodgers catcher on the front of this uh, pack. I don't know <laughs> who it is. I, I I know it isn't Mike Piazza, but uh, there you go. Uh, just if uh, this is your first time listening to the show, this is the part where we open up old baseball cards. And using a Beckett's baseball card monthly from 1992, we uh, see how much these cards are worth. Because they're not worth a whole lot. We've got a couple of extra um, rules that will help us try to jack up that uh, retirement fund. If they are sporting a mustache, they automatically get one cent. A lot of players were sporting the the lip brooms at this point. If they are a Hall of Famer, you get an extra five cents. If they're wearing real stirrups, you also get an extra cent. But if they are wearing the dreaded two-in-one stirrups, we're going to take a cent away from you. And that tends to happen quite a bit, especially as we get into the uh, mid-90s. All right, so let's open up this pack. Uh, I will tell you in 1992, this entire set was worth $8. <laughs> wow. So, <laughs> I could have um, afforded that one as a, as a 12-year-old, I guess. Yeah, but wasn't it more fun to, to buy a pack at a time instead of just buying the set all at once? That's how I did it. Yeah, I definitely did it that way. Well, one, probably because I couldn't afford the whole box, but I guess apparently (laughs) I could have afforded this one. Should have told my parents. All right, so we're going to go through here. Now, your first player is a player that we've talked about. Uh, Mark, our regular co-host, knows him. He was a member of the A's when Mark was a bat boy for the Tacoma Tigers. And uh, I just tweeted a picture about him about a month ago uh, about a baseball card where he is with the Twins, as he is in in this... uh, in this card where he's got one of those brick cell phones, you know, one of the first ones, the Zach Morris type ones, Mr. Brian Harper, Brian Harper. I don't remember him. Oh gosh. I guess I shouldn't, I shouldn't say that, but yeah, I'm going to say he's probably not in Beckett though. Uh, yeah, this is considered a, uh, this is considered a common. He was not with the twins when they won the world series in 87. Um, but I think he was when they won it in, when it was the next time they won it, wasn't it like, 
was it 92 or was that the, the Blue Jays? I think that was the Blue Jays. The Twins, that was, yeah, 91. Thanks for rubbing it into my face as a Braves fan. but And then and then adding insult with the Blue Jays beating the Braves in 92. That is right, 91. That was, I remember that was my first year in college and I remember watching that. That's okay. fine for me. Yeah, thank uh, you. <laughs> yeah, so he did get a World Series ring. Um, he does have a mustache, so that's good news. Oh, I yeah. cannot see if he, he's a catcher, so I'm guessing he's wearing real stirrups, but I can't see. So, mm. You are going to get one cent for that. No no extra bonus for the cell phone. Well, that was a different card. Ah, okay. See, I was, yeah. trying, I was trying to trick you. Never mind. Yeah. It didn't <laughs> work. I'm looking at that card right now. He, it's a sweet one. That's who, a Zach Morris special right there. I, I wonder if he was actually talking to anyone. I, they're like, I, just pose with this, buddy. Well, yeah, not many people had those at that point. He was probably flexing with that thing. All right, next you've got pitcher for the Cubs, lefty, Danny Jackson. I remember the name. I don't remember much else, though. Yeah, I remember the name. He came up with the Royals and was on the Reds for a couple of years. Looking at the back of the card, uh, Cubs GM at that point, Jim Frey, said he's a great pitcher got great stuff and a strong makeup he's a very high quality individual that's as generic as you can <laughs> he likes he's a to great breathe. guy he has yeah. eyeballs okay thanks. now i hate to break this to you but he's not wearing a mustache the card wow. is a common and he is definitely wearing two and ones so uh that is erased the one cent you got from the mustache not off to a good start no, not a good one. All right, we've talked about this guy before. First baseman for the Cincinnati Reds, Hal Morris. I remember that name, yeah. So this is, I, I remember this. We've talked about because Hal Morris actually came up with the Yankees in 88, spent some time with the Yankees in 89, and then was traded to the Reds. Um, good, had decent power between 15 and 20 home runs every year. Um, he is wearing two and ones. I hate to tell you this, and I'm going to guess that that is probably a common. Oh no! Look at that. Hal Morris is worth two cents. Oh goodness! Am I up to one now? Am I back so to one? So you are. You're back to one cent. I was. I, is it wrong that I'm kind of hoping we get a negative score? But I don't want to do I, that to you. I think that before we start recording, said I probably will, and I think I spoke it into into happening. So. All right. Now this guy, I remember the name. I really couldn't tell you much about him. Uh, lefty for the Montreal Expos at this point, Chris Nabholes. Not a clue. I'm no. clueless on that one. So his the picture on the back, he's clean shaven. On the front, it looks like he's got a ginger mustache and beard going on. So I'll give you a cent for that. <laughs> I can't see his stirrups. I'm going to guess this is probably a common. Yeah, I'd probably guess that too. <laughs> yep, it is, but you do get a cent for that. So there, there you go. Uh, man, I'm striking it rich here. <laughs> now, this guy I've never heard of. Uh, he is pitching in what is clearly Wrigley Field. I see some ivy in the background for the Cincinnati Reds. Oh, he's a rookie prospect. So this might Uh-oh. be worth this might be worth a couple of cents. Gino Minatu I can't even say his name. Minatelli. M I N U T E L L I. Hall of Famer. He's in the Hall of Fame, right? Uh, I'm, he's probably well, in not, his not the parents. baseball Hall of Fame. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, his parents' basement Hall of Fame. So he played in Chattanooga for two years hmm. and uh, also played in Nashville as he was coming up for the Reds. Let's see here. Sometimes these rookie cards, that that's worth two cents right there. Oh, my gosh. That's <laughs> that surprising. Your, 
That's your high, you just doubled your score with Gino there. Ooh, I am smoking right now. All right. Oh, another rookie prospect. Now you're now you're starting to cook with gas. Javier Ortiz with the Houston Astros. Wow. I do not know who Javier uh, Ortiz is. I don't either. Is. I don't think I'm known who most of these guys besides Hal Morris are. Yeah, now I I'm wondering if the National League uh, photographer was from Chicago for score this year because he is likewise playing in Wrigley Field. He does not have a mustache. He is clearly wearing two and ones because there's a big gap. Oh man! Between his shoe and and the stirrup. Let's see if that's worth anything. Two dollars. Two dollars. Nope. Come on. Uh. No, that one's not even worth anything. So mm. that's gonna bump you down another cent. I'm. <laughs> I'm going. Hey, you know what? At this point, I want to get the negative. I want to be that first one. I'll, I'll, I'll be the guinea pig. I've looked ahead. Don't worry. Just stay the course. You'll you'll Whew. be okay. I'm getting nervous uh, here. Next, now this guy we talk about all the time. I have got. Oh, this is you're gonna get something here. Uh, this is a rookie prospect card. Another one. Uh, this one, a left-handed hitting first baseman prospect for the Boston Red Sox. He uh, is, as I said, I've got I've got a ton of these rookie cards of this guy because I was counting on him and Sam Horn to put me through school. Neither of which did, but Mr. Phil Plantier. Yeah, I remember the name. Please tell me he had a mustache. For some reason I'm picturing him with a mustache. No, he, he never uh. had a mustache, but he, did, he is sporting real stirrups, though. So okay. So you got that. Well, now, okay, now, do you, uh. I don't, did you remember <laughs> when players used to wear, like, not just high tops, but like wrestling style high tops? Yeah, like, I think I do. His, his high tops are halfway up his shin. <laughs> Now, I think those might be two-in-ones, but I can't tell, so I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt there. Ah, uh, thank you. Uh, let's look. This card will be worth something. Uh, Phil Hot Plant- prospect oh, there. 20 cents, my friend. You've got to be kidding me. That is wow. a 21-cent card right there. <laughs> yeah, I love That's Phil shocking. Plant here. I yeah, like I remember him. the name. I didn't really get into him too much, but... Uh, I, I'm looking at the shoes now too, also, and seeing what you're talking about. And those wow, look maybe, like they may, might even be extensions, or maybe those were ankle braces. Yeah, That's it kind of looks like ankle. Bra- I was gonna say it looks like maybe it's f- some kind of protection for the ankles there. And yeah. he is really low in his in his crouch. <laughs> well, I mean, he is oh, yeah. almost in a catcher's would, position. Yeah. Do, uh, do you remember Jeff Bagwell when he used to look like he was sitting down? Yeah. That's what Phil Plantier's stance was like. I think he Phil's was, almost lower than Bagwell. That is amazing. Yeah, I, I, I liked the stance. I liked Phil Plantier. My, wow. You are full of rookie prospects, and I can tell you, you have got a Hall of Famer in here as well. Oh, good. Okay. So your next card, and with that 21-cent card, you have now jumped up where you're on pace to make our the, the top end of our leaderboard here. Hmm. Uh, next is another rookie prospect. I remember when I was working as a morning drive show producer for sports radio in Salt Lake City, I cold called this guy at a hotel and he picked up and went on the air with us. (laughs) Wow. First baseman here for the Cleveland Indians, Reggie Jefferson. Oh, yeah, it did. Now, Reggie. Yeah, I I, I can't remember the name, but I don't remember that. That's pretty interesting and funny, though, that you actually cold call him. He, and I guess at that time he didn't have uh, an alias to go no, by. No, I he, just, I, I, you know, in media guides, it'll tell you generally where each team 
stays, what hotel they stay at in each city. So I just, we needed some content. And he was on the Red Sox at that point. And something had happened where there'd been a big game or a big series just over the weekend. So I looked up where they were, called the hotel, asked for Reggie Jefferson. They put me through. And I said, hey, I'm a producer at blah, blah, blah. Do you mind talking to us? He said, sure. That's pretty nice of him. <laughs> I was in, I was expecting the worst, but uh, this is a good card right here. Uh, this is worth four cents. He's got a mustache, and I, I'm saying I think those might be uh, the one on his right looks like a two and one, but the one the one on his left looks a little bit thinner, like it might be real. So I'll give you the benefit of the doubt there and give you six cents for that one. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah, and I'm looking at Reggie's career and and crazy i don't know much about him but in 1997 he had a pretty good season there batting 319 and the year before that going 347 that would have been right around the time where i would have called him (laughs) that was right about the time where i was yeah he was a hot commodity then all right next we've got a right-hander for the new york yankees tim leary yeah i'm very leary of the price of this card about that uh, yeah well there's there's no price on that one <laughs> yeah that's uh, why i'm very leery of it i believe he's got a well I, no i don't think that's a mustache on the front i think it's just a shadow uh, so no stirrups there but that is not stinking stinking not shadows. worth anything uh next another astro with uh boy these these astros love to wear these things on their shoes i can't tell i'm gonna i'll say that those are braces but i'll give you credit for stirrups no mustache oh. mark davidson an outfielder yeah, Mark Davison. Okay. I've don't, never heard of uh, him. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I don't know who that is. <laughs> Very popular. Another Hall of Famer in, in somewhere. I will give you... Now, I can tell that that is uh, at Jack Murphy Stadium, though. Uh, I get, which is... Uh, which is weird. Well, maybe you know what? Let me take that back. This might be spring training because they're wearing the home whites, but that is... if you If you can see this card... There are players in the dugout sitting at the same level as the Mark Davidson, who's at the plate. And uh, Jack Murphy Stadium was the only turf, you know, natural grass stadium that had that. But this must be at spring training because they're wearing their home whites. Okay. So I'm going to give you one cent for that. <laughs> now, your next card, I'm going to move to the back. We'll, we'll hit that one last. Okay. You'll be happy with that one. Next, we've got a guy that wrote a book. He's been on TBS uh, on their national games as a announcer, color guy, Wally Whitehurst. Wow. I don't uh, remember him. I don't remember him as a player. He kind of wrote a tell-all book a couple of years ago that made some waves uh, and then did uh, color for TBS during the playoffs. His card is not worth anything. Um I'm oh, he's shocked. got real stirrups on, though. I can okay. see uh, it's standing up there. And it looks like he might have a little bit of a 5 o'clock shadow there. I'm not sure about I'll give you a cent for the for the stirrups, but I, I'm not sure about that. Here's a great card. Here's This one will probably net you some cash. We talked about him earlier in the show. Don Mattingly. Yes, finally. Finally. And... and- the mustache has to be there, right? Yep, he's got the mustache defying George Steinbrenner. He's got the long hair as well. Referencing the Simpsons episode, uh, <laughs> Mr. Burns kept wanting him to shave the sideburns until Mattingly shaved a straight line from one sideburn over the top of his head to the other, <laughs> and still Mr. Burns complained about it. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, this card is worth four cents. That's shockingly low. 
Yeah, that is. I'm, tell tell end of his career, though, I guess. Uh, kind of a few years before, maybe. Yeah, let's see. Well, this is 92, so we know that 95 is when they went to the uh, to the playoffs and the Mariners, Edgar hit the double that knocked the, 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 the Yankees out of the playoffs. So still had a couple of years, but it was prime back injury. Yep. Uh, now, Mattingly, I hate to say it, it kind of looks like some two and ones here. Oh, Don. Yeah. Chilling so, me. That's good. So that wipes out his mustache, but that's a four cent card and it's Don Mattingly. So that's good. Here we go. A pitcher for the Milwaukee Brewers. He of a no hitter when he was with the Seattle Mariners and was the Mariners pitching coach for a while. Definitely wearing two and ones. Chris Basio. I remember Chris. Yeah. Some reason I thought collecting his cards. So I was like, this, this is. I should be collecting this guy for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> I remember he threw that no hitter. I was listening to it. I was at school at Washington State, and I was listening to it in my room while I was doing homework. And uh, I think Omar Vizquel made a barehanded play at short to, for the final out. But uh, Chris Bazio wearing two and ones, but he's got a mustache, and the card isn't worth anything. So that kind of is he still a pitching coach? He was with the Cubs for a little. He's there, somewhere. Right? Yeah, he bounces yeah. around. I'm sure he's somewhere. Okay. Next, uh, here we go. This guy won a World Series with the Oakland A's, has been a third base coach for the Oakland A's, currently the third base coach. Well, I don't know if he's still going to be the third base coach for the Angels. He was last year. Mike Lego My Gallego. Mm. Another one I don't remember. Uh, let's see. He is not worth anything. No mustache, and he is definitely wearing two and ones. Unfortunately, he is the player that is a utility infielder. That when Ricky was holding out uh, after the, I think it was the '89 season, said, "If you want to pay me like Mike Gallego, I'll play like Mike Gallego." To which Mike <laughs> Gallego that. responded, "I was just happy he knew who I was." <laughs> I remember that. I remember that from watching the uh, Ricky Henderson uh, little bio they had on MLB Network they've been playing recently. All right. Next. Now, here you get. Now, you've you've not seen The Simpsons. You you haven't seen Boy Meets World. How about Seinfeld? Oh, huge Seinfeld fan. Yes, right. definitely. I'm, I'm not going to disappoint you totally here. So, yes. All right. This, uh, is, this guy was on a Seinfeld episode. Again, I just want to say coming up. In the next couple of weeks, if you're a Seinfeld fan, stay tuned. We got we got something for you. At this point, he is uh, playing for the Cincinnati Reds, member of the 1990 World Series team where they swept the A's. The only player in baseball reference that also has a kicking stat. Yeah, he is Mr. <laughs> Paul O'Neill. Ah, finally, finally. Now Paul O'Neill looks O'Neil. definitely wearing. Real stirrups there. Let's see if that card has any value. It does not. That's a shock. I am shocked. Maybe maybe he got a little more value when he went to the Yankees. Yeah. So he yeah. So he obviously won the World Series with the Reds. How many? Let's see. How many World Series did he win with the Yankees? Yeah, I don't know how long. How long did he play with the Yankees? That's it. So Paul O'Neill played with the Yankees. For nine years, he played with the Reds for eight, and the Yankees for nine. He won five World Series. Hmm. Wow! And his Never. nickname was the Warrior. Never heard that one before. Yeah, me neither. 
But of course, now he is an announcer on the Yes Network for the Yankees. He had a really, really good career. Uh, career batting average of 288, career OPS plus of 120, had some power, about 20 home runs every year, and uh, was a five time All Star. Not bad. No, not at all. Maybe another guy that's an underrated player when you when you think of players during that time period. Yeah, especially on those Yankee teams, he was definitely a uh, definitely a, a major player there. But they had so many superstars. But yeah. uh, he, I am sure, Mark would say one of those guys that uh, never took a called strike that was actually a strike. <laughs> I could see that. And, and, and just uh, real quick, in two thousand in the World Series. Against the Mets, he had a 474 batting average during that season. So he definitely produced then. Is that good, 474? I've heard that's good. I know most people don't talk about batting averages and home runs and RBIs anymore, but apparently that was pretty good back then. Look in the at day. that. OPS of 1.335 in the World Series with no home runs. That's yep. what's crazy. Two doubles and two triples. But look yeah, at what he, the A's held him to. Though they beat the A's, he only hit point. Zero nine one against them. The A's kept him in check. <laughs> amazing. Uh, still amazing that the Reds beat that A's team. Uh, you know that, that's yes. still amazing in my opinion. I don't want to talk about that. All right. <laughs> well, let's you talk about the ninety one World Series in ninety two. So I had to bring it back. Okay. So let's talk about something here. Your final card. Now I'm tempted just to give you a dollar for this card straight off the bat. He is a Hall of Famer. He is wearing a mustache. He is not wearing any stirrups, nor is he wearing any clothes except for sliding pants, as he sets atop six bases with a bat in his hands. This is a score dream team card. Now, it's in black and white. I'm going to tell you this. I've probably got 10 of these cards. I think I know who this is. <laughs> I, guess, I think I can take a pretty good guess here. So you right off the bat get six cents for this card because of the Hall of Fame and the mustache. I'm tempted to just give you maybe even $10 because it is none oh, wow. other than Ricky Henderson. Oh, uh, yeah. I figured. I figured. So this card at the time was worth, oh, that's, that's a sh- only 10 cents. Come on. I, I mean, the that, ladies alone that, would love this card. Yes, Beckett was not on their A game here. <laughs> well, if it's if we went by the mint price, it would be a quarter. But we're just going by the by the average price here, ten cents. So that is a sixteen cent card. Not bad. Hey, there we go. That's a good way to wrap it up. Yeah. All right. So with that Ricky Anderson card again, possibly the most valuable card we'll we'll pull. You come up with a grand total of 52 cents. Wow. With that, you move into second place. Woo. Very nice. Uh, Chris from Turnipair has finally been dethroned from that number two spot. Ben from Diamonds and Roses still atop with 93 cents with that Ken Griffey uh, upper deck card that kind of threw the whole table out of whack. But uh, very nice. That's that is a legitimate score, especially with 92 score. All right. Well, let's just send it there. Declare me the winner and have a good night, everyone. <laughs> now, I, I I I sometimes offer to send people some of these cards. I'm going to keep that card for myself, and uh, maybe I can find a Dale Murphy card that I can I can get to you instead. <laughs> oh, it's it's fine. Keep that with the other ten ones. Ten of those you have. 
<laughs> so very nice. So that is a 52. We'll put you in the leaderboard there. And uh, yeah, that was, a, that was a good pack. We'd like to start off by, uh, as we do every show, I just want to thank all of our listeners, each and every one of you for listening to us. Uh, we appreciate you uh, tuning in. Appreciate you if you want to follow us on social media. A lot of people have been uh, interacting uh, with us there. You can find us at Two Strike Noise. That is at TWO Strike Noise on both Twitter and Instagram. Uh, our, I'd like to thank again our special guest co-host today, Joel, from the High and Inside podcast. Joel, do you want to tell people where they can find you? Uh, yeah, I'm on MySpace. And uh, wait, no, <laughs> no, I'm not. Uh, Twitter, my Twitter handle for the show is at high underscore and underscore inside. And uh, the show is on Spotify and Apple iTunes. And I, you know, as you mentioned earlier, I had a really great time talking to Paul Bird, former Braves, former Indian. You know, he played with quite a few teams and had a great conversation with him two episodes ago. Two episodes ago I believe it was episode 97 because I just did 98. Really good with math, if you can tell. And um, if you haven't checked out that episode, you want to hear a really good talk, I'd, I'd suggest. And, and if you want to catch some other shows i i kind of follow the same suit as you guys where i do like to talk about history of baseball and things that are you know maybe not the most popular stories that i find interesting and i think people will find interesting but twitter and i'm also on facebook we do have a group or i have a group uh, the high and inside podcast but i'm more active on twitter perfect and one of my other favorite uh, parts of your show is the brave social media hot takes where uh, we get to hear some some very insightful thoughts uh, of Braves fans and the state of their team, which is always a joy. <laughs> it's a joy, all right. I I guess that's one word of one way of putting it. Very nice. Well, Joel, thank you once again for joining us. Uh, we should have Mark back again full time next week. Um, so if you just before you leave, if you can uh, hike that chair you're sitting up on really nice and high so that he can reach the mic, that would be <laughs> that would be great. I'll readjust it. Not a problem. <laughs> and uh, once again, thank you to our listeners. And we will see you again next week with another edition of Two Strike Noise. Mm-hmm.